everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Son of Neptune. How are you doing today, Jane? Oh, I'm dying. <laughs> well, <laughs> you can't die yet, because we haven't saved Thanatos yet. Oh, that's true. I'll just come back in a hellish eternal loop. Of going to class, coming back home, dying, and then going back to class. That's really sad. Um, <laughs> you know, How are you, Jacqueline? I'm doing okay. I am enjoying my day off of work. <laughs> uh, I've been been sitting back, sipping a nice glass of water, uh, reading oh, yeah. reading um, a funny little detective novel. Uh, and mm. uh, just, just sort of, just, just sort of enjoying, enjoying my life. Uh, you know, I Good. the other day I was like, should I take, should I, should I look into taking classes? <laughs> um, and you know what? Maybe I won't. <laughs> anyway, I, my life has also been, uh, I guess, changed in some in some way. Because the the cover and the title for the oh, next yeah. Rick Riordan book has been announced. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was it again? I, w- I want to say it's like the Sun and the Star, a, a Nico D'Angelo adventure. Mm-hmm. This is it. This isn't written by Rick Riordan, is it? It is. It is. All oh, right. It's uh, I think it's co-written uh, Rick Riordan and Mark Oshiro, I believe. Right. 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 It's a good-looking cover. It does look good. Looks kind of gay. Looks kind of gay. That's always that's always an advantage for a cover. <laughs> um, and it doesn't apparently. Uh, did you hear the good news about yes, the, the yes, UK I edition? Did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hallelujah! Praise the Lord and give thanks because we're just getting the same cover as the American version. Thank God! <sighs> Finally, <laughs> I I really have been so so sad for you. <laughs> uh there's a there's a discord server full of like other percy jackson podcasters and i did get into an argument with a few of them who were defending the british covers just because they grew up with them and hold affection for them even if they're not technically that good which is simply foolish that's fine <laughs> we are after all the the best percy jackson podcasters so we're the ones with all the, with the ones with all the correct opinions about everything Oh, 100%. <laughs> uh, uh, shout outs. Anyway, shall we get right to the summaries today? Uh, we shall. Chapter 33, Frank. Arion takes Frank, Percy, Hazel, and Ella all the way up into Canada, and they eventually end up actually not being that far from Frank's house. The horse heads off to graze and doesn't come back for the rest of these chapters, while well, the kids trek to Frank's place in the hope of finding supplies and a decent place to have a rest. Unfortunately, what they instead find is that the house is surrounded by Lystragonians, the same monsters from the Sea of Monsters. I should have read that before I... whatever. Frank <laughs> uses Grey to clear one of the camps so the kids can make a mad dash for the house, but is worried by how freaked out Hazel was at finding out about Grey. Chapter 34. Frank. After a little anxiety-fueled hesitation, Frank leads everyone into the house, to find it in a state of disrepair. The house has been surrounded for so long that it's been a while since the cleaning staff could even get in. They head upstairs looking for his grandma and find her slumped in bed at death's door, and with Mars sitting at her bedside. He has a private talk with Frank, where he informs him that he's one of the seven from the prophecy, 
and quite possibly the most dangerous. That's why Gaia has locked down his house. She has designs on manipulating the rest of the kids in the prophecy, but with Frank she just needs to take him off the board as fast as possible, because he just doesn't have the right buttons to push. The Lystragonians will attack in the morning, and with Grey still recovering, Mars tells Frank that he needs to figure out his, quote, family gift as fast as possible to get out of this. They go over his family history together, which extends from Periclemenus the Argonaut, to Seneca Gracchus the Roman, to Sun Guo, who is the same dude but he apparently picked up a Chinese name because we're doing the Li Xian Lost Romans myth that Jacqueline brought up a few weeks ago. Mars tells Frank that he needs to man the fuck up and accept duty and sacrifice and stuff to unlock his powers, and also that he needs to stand by Percy, because Percy's facial flaw is going to cause him to whiff when faced with a major sacrifice, unless Frank is there to help him pull the trigger. Frank asks Mars what his own facial flaw is, and Mars tells him that he'll need to discover that for himself, but that he's finally asking the right questions. Frank passes out, and when he wakes up, his grandma is awake. Chapter 35, Frank. Frank's grandma has been up for a while, as it turns out, and has sent his friends to the armory in the attic to gear up. She gives Frank a letter of introduction and tells him he needs to lead his friends to a nearby airfield where a Camp Jupiter alum will be waiting to give them a ride to Alaska. Frank continues to try and mind palace his way into figuring out what his power is. It's not the ability to cause earthquakes, although that didn't stop Camp Jupiter from blaming his ancestor Shen Lun for causing one in San Francisco in 1906. Also, according to Frank's grandma, because they were extremely racist. Instead, the ability that Poseidon gave to Frank's ancestors with limited shape-shifting abilities, so they can change into any living creature. Frank rushes off to help his friends prepare to escape, knowing as he does that he's seeing his grandmother for the very last time. Chapter 36, Frank. Frank finds a potato gun set up by the window in the attic, and Ella informs him that starch is bad for ogres, before accidentally launching into a piece of prophecy about a son of Neptune drowning while falling from ice. She doesn't know the rest, which is pretty concerning for Frank. He goes out onto the roof, where Percy has set himself up with a hosepipe to act as a sea whisk against incoming Canadian cannonballs, while Hazel patrols around for anyone trying to get into the house. Frank simps a little, and then Hazel clarifies that she doesn't hate him because of how freaky Grey is. Frank and Percy also both realise that they're technically related, and mutually decide they'll have to get over the Neptune fear of flying if they want to get out of this. Frank also tells Percy the prophecy, which confuses Percy because he can't drown despite his best efforts. The kids conclude that Ella must have pulled that partial prophecy from the books of Sibylline, the burned prophetic text that Octavian was after which outlined the entire destiny of Rome. No wonder Phineas wanted to keep her around. Percy and Hazel go to start up the car in the garage while Frank distracts the Lystragonians, grabbing a new bow and some arrows in the process, and mowing a few down with a spud gun. He dives into the car just as leaving as his mansion burns to the ground in the rearview mirror. The group drive to the airstrip but hit a snag because Ella doesn't want to get on a plane. Percy tells her to hide in the trees and that a friend of his will be along to pick her up and take her to safety at Camp Jupiter. The trio get onto the plane just in time and take off as the Lystragonians overrun the airport. Frank has a bit of a breakdown over the death of his grandmother and the fact that he failed to actually use his shapeshifting powers before the pilot announces that their next destination will be Anchorage, Alaska. So, what did you think of these chapters? I feel bad for saying the Frank's chapters are always bad. I don't. No. <laughs> really? <laughs> you didn't like these? Uh, I have problems. They were okay. good ones, though. I, I thought they were pretty good, but I, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Yeah. Um, first, firstly, just a, just a small shout out. Uh, I just want to, I love the Aryan, the fucking horse. 
just like every single other demigod almost uh, just has the most intense ADHD. Like, <laughs> oh, fuck, you're right. Wait, Arion isn't a demigod, is he? Is he's, the, is, he's the child of like Poseidon and another god. Oh, you're right. I guess is he just a god? I guess so. Horse god. Horse god. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Except See, for Frank. Neptune doesn't have the courage of Loki. He won't just straight up fuck a horse. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Oh god. Um, <laughs> myths or something, huh? Oh, anyway, no I can't wait till we get to Magnus Chase and Rick has to figure out how to get around that one same maybe maybe it's just there maybe it's in the text who knows i except there is there's one demigod out there who isn't uh who who is completely neurotypical uh uh-huh. and that's frank <laughs> he's so fucking funny um he like is mourning the fact that he's like a spelling bee champion and that he doesn't have dyslexia. <laughs> he's like, oh, I wish I like, I wish my brain was the same as all the others, but I'm so powerful and neurotypical. And I, it's, oh God. It's I mean, fun. Frank is in for a rude awakening. Uh-huh. Because uh, along with all the vibes that we've discussed so far, he now has shape-shifting powers. Yeah. So... Probably trans. Probably. And that means that uh, figuring out that he's autistic is, uh, that can only be a few months away. This is true. This is true. <laughs> um, what were some of your, your problems here? Uh, Rick Riordan stating uh, unsupported historical theories as fact. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll go back to like, you i guess and be like this is a myths book about myths uh so i guess drawing in a myth isn't the worst thing you could do but it is weird my problem with it is that like it's not spoken about as if it's a myth Uh uh-huh like mars talks about it in the same way that he talks about like the battle of kare which did happen right if i don't know i just feel like it needed at the very least for um for mars to say like oh yeah the um the the captured Romans were like guided to safety by Juno or something, and then settled in because the mortals don't know that bit, and that's why they don't know if this is true. Like I would be fine with it if that was what was going on. A bit more obfuscate, not obfuscation, but like mm-hmm. shrouding it in the ideas of myth would definitely help in that way. I completely agree with you. <laughs> uh, it's the stupidest, just absolutely <laughs> the stupidest thing in the world, because Rick Riordan is saying like, oh, this place. I think is he is he he's like relying first of all on his readers like guess like not really knowing how like pronunciation will should work here. Oh, that he he does more than just rely on us not knowing how pronunciation works. He does a fucking bait and switch. Uh huh. He uses the Spanish spelling of Legion to make the word look more like Legion. The English spelling is L I Q I A N. Uh huh. Like that's the. <laughs> What is uh, my everyone around me had like knows Mandarin Chinese except for me, so I feel always what is that like pinion? Like I have the, no idea, but like, I think it's still pronounced Li Xian. Oh, f- no, for no, I'm saying the um, like the the way that like Chinese words are put into like English. Oh, right, right, right. But yeah, I think it's like Li Xian or something like that. And to like mm-hmm. that's that doesn't really sound like Legion. 
but if you spell it like L I J I E N, <laughs> then the twelve year olds, like the the English speaking twelve year olds who are reading this, will probably be like, oh yeah, Legion, Legion, Lead, yeah, sure. Like, it's not like fucking what's his face, the Wolfman from the last book, where he was like promoting a very racist writer or something. Uh huh. Like, I did some digging into this theory. It seems to be mostly harmless and just conjecture. Yeah. But it just it bu- it bugs me that a history teacher is putting this in a book when the burden of proof is on like the proponents of this theory to prove it happened. Right, and it like a, yeah, like you're right. It's not harmful. It's just like so stated so uncritically, so factually yeah. that it, like it doesn't detract necessarily from anything. But it's just like why? Just because it helps your little book? I guess so. <laughs> There, like, there was, there was trade. There, there was trade happening. You don't need it to use this myth exactly. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There, like, there was, there was contact between Rome and China. I mean, the Franks family are like they, they run like an import business. So that would even make more sense if it was just like, oh yeah, our family slowly made their way along the Silk Road from like Rome to China, settled there, and then emigrated to Canada a couple of centuries later. Right, but I got, I guess not. <laughs> When it comes to Frank's family, I feel like his grandma gets, she gets like more stereotypical like Chinese grandma as yeah. this goes on, like as she gets closer to death in a way that like <laughs> didn't stick out to me quite as much in her first appearance, but as like every other line she says here it just like feels like stock. Was distracted t- by Juno just kind of bowing at them in the street or whatever the fuck she was doing. Uh huh. <laughs> And now I'm like Rick Riordan. This is, I, not every like Chinese grandmother. Like every other sentence they say, is about like. Is this is, how like, you represent this family? Cut your hair. Stand up straight. Th- that's everything she says. In fact, that's a direct quote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know. Like I, I really liked his. I still do like his relationship with his grandma. We talked about this already. Yeah. And I think actually, like him going up to her room and finding out that she's dying is actually a kind of a gut punch. Definitely. But she, I wish she was written less stereotypically. It's well written, but that doesn't mean that it's not also, like, tropey and stereotypical. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we don't need Rick Riordan's, <laughs> Rick Riordan's kind of racist take on a Chinese <laughs> grandma. <laughs> uh, I feel like we should say something nice about these chapters now, because you like them. I did like them. I, I, I would like to be convinced. I feel well, okay. like I half the time I like drag your opinion down in a set of chapters. Well, that's fine. I <laughs> first of all, the funniest fucking joke in this entire book happens in uh-huh. these chapters, uh, which is Percy just like instinctively calling the Lystragonians Canadians in front of Frank. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I I laughed out loud for the first time in this entire in this book. It was so good. Frank's reaction is priceless. Um, I, and like Percy having to like scramble through his like half forgotten memories to try to remember why he would even do that. It's incredible. A sea of monsters callback that made us both laugh. Yes, exactly. There's a lot of callbacks here. I, it's only when like Percy recognizes, um, when Percy recognizes the, uh, gray as what is it? Like a Sparta, a Spartus. Mm. Um, the skeleton warrior. I was like, "Oh wait, these are the fuckers that chase them around in Titan's Curse." 
Yeah. Like, I like I didn't even clock that until now. I was like, I say, yeah, p- as if I I remembered where he knew that from. Uh huh. But I, this like, is new information to me. <laughs> yeah, like the ones who like ra- like ran all around trying to kill them, and mm-hmm. like there are a lot of Titans Curse callbacks here, actually. Yeah. Uh, which is I I guess makes sense because Titans Curse really had sort of a like a big emotional nader, I guess. And, and also, just Titans Curse had spent a lot of time on the East Coast, and they've they've hit a couple of the same locations and met a couple of the same characters. Yeah, you're right. And the that's one aspect here, like the road trip of it. I'm glad that the place they landed is like Frank's grandma's house, mm-hmm. because at least that is a location that is like relevant to the characters in some way. It's somewhere we've been to before. It's we we have an idea of it in our minds that can then be changed when they go to it after a bit of time has passed. Yeah, which is nice. <laughs> but I, I think another element I really like here is um, the conversation Frank has with Mars, because mm-hmm. it's like apart from the like Li Tian thing, <laughs> this. This goes to show, for me, that Frank might just be, like, the strongest characterized new character we've gotten in this book. Uh, Like, his... This conversation with Mars really lays it bare to me. Like, he Mm -hmm. is so full of, like, this completely unproductive self-hatred and, like, self-pity and all of that. And Mars just shoves it all back in his face. And (laughs) Frank is disgusted with Mars, but also kind of with himself, um, mm-hmm. it it really it really makes me appreciate Frank's character more. Yeah, I hadn't. I I had mostly read those pages and been like, "Man, Mars is kind of just a shittier version of Ares." But you're right. This does. I don't know. It kind of brings that aspect of Frank's character to a head. It's like this is his lowest moment. Like his grandma just died. He didn't use his powers to save her or anything like that. So from here is going to be like the process of building him back up. I think absolutely. Um and. There's also something Mars does that I can't ever see. Like, I could never see Ares doing. And uh-huh. that's the, the very small gesture of snapping his fingers and getting rid of Frank's battle jitters. Yeah. That, I don't even, I don't, I don't want to be like, that's like a Mars good dad moment. But there, there's something to that that is really, there's like a, there's an affection there. Like a certain type of affection that we've never seen from him before. Which is very strange because like... Mars is not a different character. This is not a different person to Ares. Right. Like, we've we've seen the, the gods, like, they can shift back and forth through their aspects at will, and they seem to retain most memories and personality between them, which is also why I think that Mars not remembering Percy is bullshit. Well, yeah. But it's, it's weird to me that this is the same character who we know was physically abusive towards Clarice. I guess it's just, like, a case of he's a shitty dad and he plays favorites. I, I think that's exactly it. Like, I think this is really... What's really helping here is that, like, it is different aspects of the same person. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not cl- completely divorced from Ares. But, like, the like the the thing is, like, sometimes you do just have a dad who, like, gives a shit about one of his kids. Yeah. Like, like really cares about one of his kids in a certain... Like, or, like, is, like, like, cares about Clarice, right? But, like, cares about her in a way that is abusive mm-hmm. that, that hurts her and meanwhile is kind of like a little bit that way to frank but is more so just like cheering him on in like a really aggressive way and like kind yeah, he's of he's just a shitty soccer dad exactly exactly 
And I think that's actually a pretty deft move to like make this the same, make mm-hmm. make the different aspects thing work for work in that way. Yeah, no, I think you're. I've I've, I've done a one eighty on my opinion on that actually. <laughs> why why are Lystragonians allergic to starch? This isn't even a problem I have with these chapters. I'm just confused. I don't know. Is it? <laughs> Because, okay, he goes up to the roof. Immaculate vibes, by the way. Just Percy just, like, shooting blasts of water at the cannonballs as, the, <laughs> like, the dawn. Like, as they're all sitting on the roof as, and, like, the dawn is coming. And it's pretty good. But he's he's presented with, like, a machine gun. But it's not actually a machine gun. It's just a potato launcher. And is it just that you can't have Frank firing a machine gun in a kid's book? I don't really get it. Yeah, it, it, it reads to me as if an editor said, you cannot give him a minigun. Which is sad, because he deserves <laughs> one. <laughs> I did I did some Googling to see if I like this was based on anything in mythology. Uh, and all, all I found was a fragment of our, our immaculate modern mythology, which was uh, the start line being quoted verbatim in a Percy Jackson Naruto crossover fanfiction. Uh, shout outs to, uh, what was, what's the author's name? I have no idea. <laughs> shout outs to that Naruto Percy Jackson, God, Naruto Percy Jackson fanfics, what, like, crossover fanfics, there, there are thousands of them out there, and, there must they, be. like, truly one of the greatest resources of our time. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it feels kind of like, okay, well, I guess I'll lean into the little random bit of it. Yeah. Just, I guess it's fine. It. Oh, I also want to say, it's another thing from the another thing from the the Mars the Mars conversation. Yeah, if Mars puts to Frank like, "Oh, you have to save the legacy of Rome is on the line. Five thousand years of law, order, and civilization." Mm-hmm. And this book really it is going back and forth in so many ways that like. I know Rick Riordan must be at least on some level aware of, but I can't tell how how intentional it is, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, because we have Mars the war god here, like the pa- like one of the patrons of Rome. Um, the villain like be- of book one. Exactly. Being the one to be like, the legacy of Rome, the greatest country in the world. Like, he's... He's the one saying it. It's Mars, the guy who sucks. Yeah, no, I mean, we've, we've, I mean, Dionysus straight up said in Last Olympian that, like, the gods have, like, a vested interest in making sure that this continues. Yeah. And, like, will disproportionately hype up how important it is for their own sake. At the same time, though, this, this is still all that we have. Like, nobody else is giving us, giving us an alternate perspective on the yeah, stakes definitely. of this series. Apart from Phineas, who Percy murdered. Yes, true. <laughs> oh, oh, Phineas. Frank also ends up coming out of this. Um, I thought you were just going to say Frank ended up coming out. Frank ends up coming out in these chapters and it makes me really happy. Um, <laughs> God, that would have been good. No, but there literally there is a line where Frank's grandma is like, oh, I know that you have like a deep dissatisfaction with your body or whatever, like a deep <laughs> unease with your body. That's because you're a shapeshifter. Like, and how long has it been since you cut your hair? God. I don't know, Grandma. I'm letting it grow out a bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm. I'm that's just. That's real. Trying... That's in the book. 
It is. I'm just trying things out for a little bit. Yeah, I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I like really, um, like I'm, I'm trying out the pan nails thing. I guess I'm doing like an emo <laughs> thing right now. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I do want Frank to be trans. So I know it won't happen. I know I would have heard, I would have heard things about it if it did. It would be the most well kept secret in the history of literature. <laughs> but it'd be so cool. <laughs> Uh, Frank actually, but as I was actually saying, Frank ends up coming out of this being given like basically the role of like you're gonna have to be the no nonsense guy. Yeah, which is interesting because Frank hasn't really been that up to this point, so it seems like a role he's gonna have to grow into. Uh, like he's like he's explicitly being positioned against Percy because Percy. We know this. We know this from books. That yeah. Percy, like Percy, has a flaw, and that flaw is that he will fight for his friends. Um, <laughs> Mars is like, okay, Frank. I know that you won't fight for your friend. Like, I know that you will fight for your friends, but you won't like sacrifice the world for them. So you have to like course correct the group, which is not really the vibe I've gotten from Frank so far. Right. Like, I feel like at this juncture, if you put like hazel in on like one scale and the earth on the other he would probably choose hazel probably and that's that's what makes this kind of interesting to me because that also mm-hmm. it's tied with the question of of frank asking like so what's my fatal flaw and mars is like now you're asking the right question but doesn't actually answer yeah um, so it it reads to me very much as like this is building for his character arc like throughout yeah. the series um and so you no longer think that he's gonna bite it at the end of this book. It's feeling less and less less like that'll happen. <laughs> you ever think about how Frank had more to say about Percy's remark about Canadians than he did about Iris's gestures vaguely at everything? I I mean that fits with his character, I guess. I suppose but, so. But also, yes. <laughs> um, there's. Oh god, I every single episode that this comes up, I want so badly to talk about Big Red Tequila because <laughs> there is some shit in that book that makes me like that is really interesting to put into contrast. They're not just like comparison with this one. Interesting. I actually want to issue a a, a correction, I guess, again because I'm oh. always having to do this. I think in my summaries last time I said that Frank didn't give Hazel the firewood. He he did. All oh, right. Uh, I I just forgot. <laughs> I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Your apology will be accepted given time. <laughs> Hazel also. This is a very small moment, but Hazel like at one point Ella just like because like oh funny Ella she's weird. Uh, she gives Frank like a feather, and Hazel like gets jealous. Did you notice this? I had a flashback to um, uh, Battle of the Labyrinth where Percy ran into Annabeth while he was hanging out with Rachel. Oh my god, I forgot about that. <laughs> we we really were, we were on our fun. Sometimes I'm like, wow, we've really grown more cynical about these books as time has gone on. But like, on the, on the fourth book, we were like, ready to kill people at the very start. <laughs> it's, it's strange, but... It is, it's know. a weird little moment, but like, it's not even like, dwelled upon past the end of the sentence where it happens. No. Like, you cut it and it would affect nothing. Yeah, I mean, Hazel and Frank do share something now. Uh, like, it's interesting because Percy is, like, left out of the loop in a way, <laughs> a way that he hasn't 
been before like not in this way which is that hazel and frank now both know about frank's secret past but like frank's secret weakness but percy does not know and so there's just like a moment when hazel like looks at the fireplace juno threw his firewood into as a kid and is like is that it and he's like yeah that's it and percy's like that- that's what and frank's just like oh it's the fireplace bro just tell him <laughs> do just tell him for sure but <laughs> Frank is also, like, so hypersensitive to how everyone is looking at him constantly that, like, I guess I get it. I guess he feels insecure compared to Percy. He does feel insecure. He talks about that with Mars. Yeah. And, like, he he summons a badass skeleton and is like, oh, Hazel's gonna think I have bone dust on me. She's gonna think I have cooties. She hates me. (laughs) Like, he develops a new insecurity in these pages. He draws insecurities on Gray's behalf for himself. Exactly. And he gets over it, but also it's just like, it's it's so funny how fast they butt up with him. Mm-hmm. I did some back-of-the-napkin maths. Uh-huh. Uh, Frank is Percy's half great times 80 grandnephew. <laughs> oh my god, that's Assuming so... Assuming four generations per century between the Battle of Gigi and 36 BC in 2011. That's amazing. <laughs> I well, This book is so fucking chock full of Neptune slash Poseidon descendants. <laughs> like, Hazel, H- Hazel seems to be pretty sure at this point that, like, oh, Frank's gonna be the one. Like, now that she's learned this, she's like, oh, Frank's gonna wipe away my curse. But, like, I'm pretty... It's gotta be the horse still, right? It's gotta be the horse. Speaking of things that have to be the horse, that horse is gonna drown. That horse is gonna drown. Um, it's gonna be like the fucking swamp in the never-ending story. It'll be miserable. Oh no! <laughs> God, I. Do we want to dive into our like a prophecy prediction corner? I think so. Because we get snippets this week. Uh, yeah, let's do it. We get snippets this week of Ella just knowing prophecies that we learned she seemed to have learned from like the Sibylline texts. Um. Here, here's one, uh, a snippet of one. To the north, beyond the gods, lies the legion's crown. Falling from ice, the son of Neptune shall drown. Does anything stand out to you about this immediately? Uh, the horse drowning. The horse drowning, but, like, the meter of it. Like, it's a, it's off. Oh, yeah, I guess it is. Like, a Percy Jackson prophecy has never sounded like this. Yeah, they're usually, like... Consistent meter, A, B, A, B, rhyme scheme. Exactly. And this is like, To the north beyond the gods lies the legion's crown. Falling from ice, the son of Neptune shall drown. Like, okay. like It's, it, 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 I, there, it's like, I, I'm trying to figure out whether this is intentional to make it feel more like a snippet of something or whether this is intentional to like make it feel like, oh, because this is from the Sibylline texts, it's different than the prophecies you would get at Camp Half-Blood. Yeah, because it's a, it's a Roman prophecy as well. Exactly. And, like, the Romans stole most of their culture from Greece, but, like, they, they did have, like, a different literary tradition. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that it would sound different. This is also a pretty straightforward one. Like, yeah. to, like it's bas- it seems like it's just saying, like, in Alaska, the, the eagle is there, mm-hmm. and then the horse will die. I don't know why, but, like, the idea I have in my head for that sequence is just, like... The three of them standing on a cliffside looking kind of distressed as the horse drowns. 
Like, they're not doing anything to help. <laughs> they can't really do anything about it. They're just kind of watching. I mean, the sad fact about horses is that, like, as soon as one gets slightly injured, you have to shoot it in the head. <laughs> oh, don't tell Hazel that. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. God. I mean, like, maybe Frank will die. Maybe this is what this means, but... He's not a son of Poseidon, though. No, he's not. Uh, and it's not going to be Percy either. There's no way. Unless... I think it would be extremely funny if Percy died. It actually, it actually, I like would not hate that. It could be interesting. <laughs> We're rooting for someone to die at the end of this book. I don't know why. It's and just... the horse is going to be kind of a cop out, I think. Uh, we get a second, a second one too. Uh, the this one is wisdom's daughter walks alone. The mark of Athena burns through Rome. Kind of yeah, badass. I can see the other books up on my shelf, Rick. <laughs> is this the is this the third book or the fourth book? Uh, I think it might be the third, if my if my memory recalls. The fucking titles are written so small on the spines. Yeah, it's the third one. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so first of all, I think this is a kind of badass. Like the Mark of Athena burns through Rome, like that. I, it has the like soul caliber, like soul still burns, like <laughs> like oh, kind of gets you hype, but. I don't know, there's not... This seems like a pretty straightforward, like, something's up with Annabeth, maybe. The the, the impression I get from it is that Annabeth is, like, in Camp Jupiter. And possibly, like, butting heads with Reyna over something. Which maybe. I think that would be cool to watch. That would be cool, but also we know that they are literally going to Rome eventually. Wait, are they? Isn't that the thing? They have to I go thought they were to... going to Greece. Oh, they're going to Greece. I guess they could go through Rome to Greece. That's true. Um, anyway, I just like the idea of, like, grimdark Annabeth, like, <laughs> burning, like, Rome to the ground. That would rule. Um, who do we think Percy's mate in the forest is? Oh, the one who's gonna gather Ella? Yeah. My, my, so my first thought was Tyson. Uh-huh. But I, that doesn't feel right somehow. Like, why would Tyson take her back to Camp Jupiter? Mm-hmm. So I'm... I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Do you have any guesses? My feeling is that it's probably Grover. Okay. Because Percy has the empathy link with Grover. So that means that, like... You know, we don't see that chapter from his perspective. It's possible that he had some kind of, like, limited communication with Grover and was like, hey, come and get this harpy. Here's the directions to Camp Jupiter. Uh, that's very possible. I feel like, a, <laughs> I mean, there'd be a big fucking shakeup on there, and like, oh, Percy, talk to me. <laughs> I per, has Percy ever communicated to Grover through the empathy link before? Uh, no. I think it's mostly been no. Wait, he has. He when he woke him up in uh, Last Olympian when he was like lost in Central Park. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, cause that's. I was thinking of Sea of Monsters, where it was mostly Grover, direct, yeah. like Grover directed toward Percy, but. I guess maybe he could, yeah. And uh, one of the one of the um, fawns mentioned that Percy had the empathy link earlier. Yeah, so it's possible that it's coming back up now. Mm hmm. I'll, speaking of Ella, I guess I I do feel very bad for her <laughs> because if she if she gets taken to Camp Jupiter and knows shit about the Civiline books, like Octavia, she's gonna fall into the hands of one mad power hungry asshole into another. Oh, absolutely. Octavian is gonna fucking dissect her or something. He's gonna fucking, like, 
he's there's going to be like Ella thighs on the menu. <laughs> Ella wings, Ella thighs, Ella Ella liver. I don't know. I guess he wouldn't kill her, but you know what I mean. Uh huh. Metaphorically, he's he's she's gonna be on the menu as it were. One hundred percent. Yeah, I could hear it over Discord actually. Oh no. <laughs> Good to know the Discord picks up fart sounds. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. How? Hmm. Can we talk about the pace of this book really fast? Yes. Because I feel like here's what we know. Here's the information we've gleaned. Tomorrow evening is the Feast of Fortuna. Uh huh. So they probably they they have to be back at camp by then probably. Mm-hmm. Now they're getting to Anchorage, Alaska. Not like next chapter. Yeah. Assuming their like plane doesn't get shot out of the sky. <laughs> there are about a hundred pages left. Yeah, there's a, there's what? a lot. So, what's I'm I'm kind of hoping for like an extended end sequence, like a like we get to the battle pretty soon, and then like we get a lot of camp. That would be really good. But I also feel like... Unless Percy retrieves the Legion standard in the next four chapters, it's going to be uh, 12 chapters until he grabs it. Oh, because you think that... leave Alaska. Because it's got to be from his perspective, you think? I, I, I think it'd be kind of weird if it wasn't. How so? I... Because... I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the main reason is because I've seen the cover of the American version, and I can't see anyone else but Percy oh, <laughs> in the frame. Oh, I, mean, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm, the cover art is spoiling us. But, I mean, here's the thing. I don't think that has to be from Percy's perspective. We've actually seen a lot of bits that are, like, very important on Percy's end that get told through other people's eyes. That's true. This is actually one thing where I think this stands out from, like, some of the Kane Chronicles books. Uh, because I feel like every time something important had to happen to the character, you had to be in their perspective. Ooh, yeah. And on one hand, Carter and Sadie like operated just in different locations more often than these three do. Yeah, that's one thing that I think Kane Chronicles actually has over Heroes of Olympus. Definitely. But at the same time, it does. It's it's sort of a trade off, I think. Yeah. What do you think of Frank's Frank? The reveal of Frank's power. I, I was thinking about you saying a few weeks ago that it'd be kind of shitty if his power was that he could turn into a dragon. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> I guess as long as the o- it's not the only thing he can turn into. That does make it better. Like, if he can choose to turn into a dragon, but also like a porcupine or something. <laughs> Frank Frank is not the character I would immediately peg for Shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. Which I think is actually really cool. Like, I like that it's he's like the big... Like, the big, beefy guy. Yeah. Like, that's not who you often see in that role. Like, because Shapeshifter tends to be a role in a story. Like, yeah. it's, it's a character type. And I like that, I feel like that's sort of breaking trend by making Frank the Shapeshifter, which I which I appreciate. I guess unless he only turns into, like, bears and shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, which I guess has been established because we he has bear backstory. Mm-hmm. But Frank doesn't actually, he actually completely fucks it and uh, isn't <laughs> able to use the gift, uh, which I kind of like, honestly. I, yeah, I like that as well. Like, he is not, he is, he's dealing with so much right now, he is not in the position to master a new power. No, no, definitely not. 
and I, I think that's like a good bit of restraint, honestly. <laughs> like, yeah, you you want to show your character doing their cool shit immediately, but like making it, especially because we're thirty five chap, we're thirty six chapters in, mm-hmm. and it's like okay, well, Frank's had enough time to like. <laughs> He's had enough time. We, I, you can use the powers now, right? But no, like he hasn't. He hasn't gone through his full shit that he needs to before he can manifest those powers. I think. Mm-hmm. I hate what you've done to my brain. What's that? I was gonna say he can't just go tricks to mode and immediately <laughs> shortcut to using his powers without going through the requisite conflict and character development. <laughs> Listen, all stories are just like video games. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, does it feel like uh, Frank's mom died, like, just over a month ago? Is that true? It, that is true. She died six weeks ago as of uh, this chapter. And I just, I think it's, it's it's very strange that it's not really being treated like that. The way it's being written about is like it's some horrific past trauma, but like, she ate an IED a month ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean... Maybe we can ascribe some of Frank's, like, distance from everything to that. Like, like he, maybe this could very easily be why he's so wrapped up in everything. That's true. I just, I think it's it's kind of, it's kind of a problem that you can run into where, like, if you haven't shown a thing happen to a character, like, in the plot, it's easy to, like, discount the importance and, like, the impact it'll have on them. That's true. Uh, well... The thing is, it's being, that tragedy is being explicitly positioned away from being super important to Frank. Like, to not super important to Frank, but something that he could be manipulated using. Uh-huh. Because what we learn here from Mars is that, like, everyone else who's going to be part of the Seven has something that, like has something that Gaia can use to tug at, whether it's, like, a tragic backstory or, like, I'm like critical flaws, but mm-hmm. Frank isn't supposed to have those same things exactly. And that means that like his mom who died a month ago, isn't going to be something that Gaia can like use to fuck him up. If that makes sense. Which is weird. Cause Gaia has control of death. So surely she should be like, Oh, that's what's going to happen. Isn't it? She's going to offer up uh returning, um, Frank's mom to life and he's gonna like close his eyes and remember what Mars said about like duty and sacrifice and doing the hard thing and say no. Uh I can like I can I can already see the words basically. Like I can see that <laughs> on the page. Rick Riordan <laughs> slightly yellowed book. I I think that's a very good prediction. <laughs> oh, one thing I wanna talk about is the airplane guy, the air the pilot. Oh yeah. This is not a character we would have seen in um, the, the Percy Jackson and the Olympians. No, the one time we saw a character like this, he turned out to be a fucking Cylon. <laughs> oh, wait, who are you referencing? Quintus slash Daedalus. Yes, exactly. Like, this is this is the first adult demigod we've basically ever met. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, you never would have heard like oh yeah tell him you're from camp half-blood and like he'll know (laughs) but like this is really like going out to establish like the we've talked about before like some of the differences between camp jupiter and camp half-blood like he used to be in the legion but he's just some pilot now that's endlessly fascinating to me 
Like, Maybe Camp Half-Blood is just way shittier at keeping people alive. I really do. it seems do. like there's plenty of Camp Jupiter people knocking about, and they face the same amount of monsters. I really do think that might be true. <laughs> like, I guess there's the fact that you can get an associate's degree there, like at New Rome or whatever, <laughs> and you can't get, like, any type of certificate from fucking Chiron. Like... I guess the camp half blood is like you know once you're eighteen you're out and you're fucked. You can't yeah, do a, any more training. It's a summer camp for kids. <laughs> like it's it's the fucking codename kids next door. <laughs> oh god. You you think that would have come up more, but I'm really I guess. But the only options for like older demigods we've seen they were either stuck in a time loop or like a time portal or whatever. Mm-hmm. They or they were uh, became a hunter of Artemis. Or uh, they were 18-year-old Luke who became a fascist and died. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when you hit 18. You go out, you ally yourself with the Titans, you die. That's exactly right. And I mean, that I guess in a sense that is like the codename Kids Next Door. Like as soon as you like leave, as soon as you leave childhood, you become like the fucking, what are they called? Like the evil teenage ninjas. I, all I remember about that is that, like, you get your memory wiped if you, you were in Kids Next Door. Yeah, that's like a finale thing, right? That's, yeah. That was, that was that was a pretty good finale. That was sad. Yeah. God. Do you remember, like, that they put on, like, all the live-action people to, like, do the older versions of them and shit? Maybe we should transition to being codenamed Kids Next Door podcast. That was a good show. I, <laughs> okay, in this episode, we're going to talk about, uh, fuck, they went to the water park, I think. And uh, number one, really, he really just wanted to, like, have fun with the sandcastles. But everyone else was being so annoying. What did you think about how, how, how Nigel Uno was acting here? His head looks like a football. <laughs> so true. <laughs> oh, God. You have anything else you want to talk about before before we wrap it up? Mars is so lame. Yeah. <laughs> like, I did the stuff going on with Frank, you've turned me around on. I do actually like that now. But just, like, as a counterweight to Ares, it, my, my, my theory on this is that Rick wanted to, like, address America's imperialist adventures in the Middle East, uh, but realized that, like, the character that he had associated with war previously was, like, uh, a nuclear rage monster who just gloried in pointless slaughter and like you know that was that seemed to be kind of the series character characterization of what war was uh so he had to make a new version of Ares that's like way more toned down and way more scaled back he's he's like he's the god of precision bombing uh-huh and regime building <laughs> it's just that's the, that's the vibe i get from him being so like toned down compared to how terrifying Ares was yeah, yeah, and it's just, it's not as, it's not as in your face as Ares was, which I think is actually mm-hmm. to its detriment at some point. Yeah. Like, there's still the moment where he takes off his sunglasses and reveals, like, the nuclear fire burning it in his eye, in his eye sockets, and that's still, like, oh, pretty cool, but... It's he, a cool he, idea, but it doesn't hit the same way that it does when, like, they melt off his face in Lightning Thief. Exactly, exactly. Like, I, and I guess to an extent, like, you don't... Some some things remain consistent, right? Like I like I like that there is consistency in that. Like Frank is around his dad and he's getting pissed off mm-hmm. because like everyone who is around Mars or Ares gets pissed off. Like the more the the closer they are to him, but and so like that consistency I appreciate. But but Ares had a, a seat for his bike made of human skin. 
Exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's just he's cooler than Mars is. Absolutely, objectively. I don't think I've seen a single, like, Roman version of a god who is maybe Juno is kind of cooler than Hera. But She's just got a goat. I like a goat. <laughs> I think that's a satyr. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Jesus Christ. There's no pan anymore. It's open season. Oh my god. <laughs> I really hope we see more of these like alternate versions though, because I think it could really like it could it could be cool or it could suck, mm. and I wanna know which one it is. I would like one of them to be cool. For sure. I guess we haven't seen Neptune yet. That's true. And his name is in the book, so hopefully he's in it. But I don't know. Can can we do any better than like Beach Bum Fish Dad? I guess if he was like completely the opposite, it might be interesting. Or if he was like a disciplined admiral or something. Yeah, maybe. Then that gets kind of like, I mean, the, the interesting thing about Poseidon being a beach bum is that that's <laughs> like a, that's like a new take, and mm-hmm. like, or not a new take necessarily, but that's like a a fresh take, I would say. Yeah. And Sea God as like wartime admiral isn't quite as fresh. Yeah, and it's kind of what he did in uh, Last Olympian, I suppose. That's true. Yeah, like we saw them all. Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about that, but we kind of saw different versions of the gods there, huh? Yeah. Like, not to maybe, this. Ex- maybe his Roman aspect is a horse, and that's why Arian exists. <laughs> maybe I, I'm thinking about this. To what degree, like in the Last Olympian? Were we seeing them re- revert to their original Greek selves, as opposed as opposed to like what we get originally, which is presented as like the Greek versions, but it's also said multiple times that like they also have their own American forms, basically. Like yeah, retroactively, like Zeus in a suit, in a Zeus suit, is um is like the American version of Zeus. And like this was occasionally mentioned in uh, the original five, mm-hmm. but it's 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 stated again here, and I think that's actually kind of an interesting like maybe that's what Beach Bum Poseidon really is. You know what I mean? All right, so he's like he's the American version. Yeah, yeah. Which obviously like there's not a lot of the the what makes a, a character interesting sometimes is being multifaceted in that way. Yeah. But it's another manifestation of, like, how the alternate personas type of thing uh, can be used for that. Maybe he's just, like, a shitty little guy. Because the Romans didn't like Neptune. No. He's just, like, he's just a little guy. He's kind of grubby from causing earthquakes. He's, like, really scrawny. (laughs) He's, like, shorter than Percy. That'd be a really good actor. He's, like, fucking, (laughs) oh, I I miss, you know who I miss? Who do you miss? Bez. Bez from Kane Chronicles? Yeah. Yeah, I do miss Bez. Uh, let's read the Kane Chronicles again. <laughs> let's not. Oh, but speaking of Kane Chronicles, and obviously like anyone who knows shit about like Raiden books already knows this, but I did find a copy of Demigods and Magicians in a bookshop the other day. Yeah. Uh, and the blurb did confirm that Setney is the villain. God, I'm so fucking so. excited. It's not quite Mad Claude, but it's the second best thing that we could have gotten. Yeah. Maybe Mad Claude makes an appearance. (laughs) I would give it a perfect 10 out of 10 if both of those things happened. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, honestly, same. I'm like, we've talked about like, oh, maybe demigods and magicians will like redeem our overall opinion of the Kane Chronicles, mm-hmm. but sometimes I worry that like it'll also have to redeem our overall opinion of Heroes of Olympus. <laughs> like, I don't think we're at that level yet, but. No, I don't. The, these, as much as I've ragged on, especially Son of Neptune, I don't think her at like Kane Chronicles level. No, like Lost, Lost Hero overall was all right. I think. Yes. Like it was, it was better even than a couple of the Percy Jackson books. Although Sea of Monsters is kind of a freebie, but. Uh huh. <laughs> completely agreed. But you, you're right. It may end up having to to pull double duty. I hope not, because I I, I am liking Son of Neptune, and like I I. Uh-huh. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens, and we'll see how it sticks. The the ending that should happen in like the next twelve episodes or whatever. We go. <laughs> God, these books are long. Yeah, sometime before the end of this year, <laughs> we'll finish this book. But I'm not sure that we'll finish the Mark of Athena. I don't think we will. Well, uh thank you everyone for listening. Uh, our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. You can find them at Moonshot Pods on Twitter and uh, check out some of the wonderful shows. You can also find us on Twitter at UnwiseGirls. There we have links to our Discord server, our Patreon, our various personal Twitters, our email, etc., and we have sometimes visual companions for episodes if it's mm-hmm. if it's so required. If you want to support us, you can leave a five-star rating review on your podcast app of choice. You can tell a friend about us, or you can go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls. And there, for just a dollar a month, you can get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you can get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Yep, last week on the bonus podcast, uh, we we continue to yell about Homestuck. And if you would like to, like, see the, the crest of the wave that is, like led to where i am now of just being like shitty and exhausted uh that was that started on that episode <laughs> so you can, you can chart the whole experience uh we're also gonna do uh some actual plays of camp half flood related games yeah. and uh, very very soon we're going to do our first episode on big red tequila the first tres navare book Yep, we're going to take a week out um, on the bonus episode, so there won't be an episode this week. Uh, but that means that we will have like a full episode dedicated to that book in two weeks. Precisely. And for $5 a month, you get the Discord role of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of episodes. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Danny, Tana, Mercy, Veronica Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say... At the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Bye. and their amazing friends, the Actual Play Podcast that steals. What does that mean? That means that we take stories from corporations and come back and tell our own fanfic-inspired actual plays with them. 
We do things like a Star Wars podcast that takes place 300 years after The Last Jedi. What if any Zoids media was good? We tell stories in those spaces that are better than the ones that the corporations tell us because we're not fucking cowards. Please, come join us at Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends to hear a plethora of wonderful stories every once in a while on the Moonshot Podcast Network. Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends. Hosted by me, Riley Hopkins.